0: Man, I'm so excited to be continuing part two of, um, of the Roost series. How many guys were here last week? Anybody here part one last week? Pastor Heather preached the glue off of the building. The paint was falling. The ceiling was ripping apart. I'm just kidding. But last week was incredible. I'm so excited to preach part two. And uh, if, uh, if you'd like to pray, pray that I, I make it through tonight. I got a bit of a sore throat. It's really, really bad. So if I don't give you my 100%, I'm going to give you my 100% of what a percent I got left. Cool? So um, I want you to try this statement out, Okay. I want you to try saying, nothing Nothing just just happens. happens. Say it again, 100% participation. Nothing Nothing just just happens. 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 Amen, amen, amen. Will you pray with me? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for your presence that is here in this room. I thank you, Lord, God, that you go before us. I thank you, Lord, that nothing just happens, God. You are the invisible hand, the the great orchestrator who moves all things together for those who love you. I thank you, Lord, that in this place, in this space, in this time, we get to have a moment together where we are doing history. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, God. I pray, Lord, that we came hungry and ready to receive from you, for you are the bread of life. We love you. We honor you. And we turn our attention to you for the next 20 minutes. And everybody said, amen. 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 I invited Michael up here. Michael's going to accommodate me. Give me something, Michael. I'm so excited to give this word. You know, when you, when you get sick, you, you, you start pulling out all the tricks to make sure that it still sounds good. So I got Michael up here to make me sound anointed and all that kind of stuff. So let me turn there. Let me start by telling you a story. Uh, anybody like going to the gym besides Mason Trier? Anybody else like going to the gym in here? Awesome. Any of my Danish, any of my Danish friends like going to the gym? Any of you guys, any gym people over there? Any runners in the house? Anybody like? Anybody just love fitness? I had to get a had to get enough hands up in the room. Um, <laughs> amen. Amen. Well, I uh I I tend to be an overcommitter at times and um and uh. There, there are times my friends know, Mason knows, Jonathan knows, my wife definitely knows, same with my mother-in-law, that I will tell them I'm going to start going to the gym, and I will commit for a couple weeks, um, and then something happens where I just get lazy, and I stop going, um, and I think it's because I, I like seeing results, but they don't always come right away, and, um, but I, at one occasion, I I was with Andrew McGee, he's the electric guitar player on Sunday mornings, he has more tattoos than I do, he's in the main services, and he was, um, he was working out with me. And on that occasion in the morning, he, he started telling me about this crazy dream. Anybody ever have crazy dreams? Awesome. <laughs> yeah. And um, his dream, he was telling me that um, he woke up in the, in the middle of the night and he had a nightmare, a car accident that had taken place. And it was two people he didn't know, but the cars crashed in together, head on first. Uh, both cars were totaled, had no idea what the dream meant. We woke up, went to the gym. As we were leaving the gym, we started crossing the street. And as we got to the street corner, two cars came colliding together, smashed right into each other, car accident. He says, hey, this is actually the corner from the dream that I had. And he said, there's the two cars. That just, um, guy gets out of the car, his back's hurting. And two uh, strangers, we don't know each other. We got to pray for this guy. And I say that to tell you that it wasn't a coincidence because nothing just happens. Do you believe that statement? Do you believe that that nothing just happens? I know we we do have a generation today where people just say I just like to do whatever I feel like doing. And you know, if I feel like waking up at 1 p.m., I'll wake up at 1 p.m. If I feel like going to church, I'll go to church. If I feel like going mentally that we just do whatever we feel like doing. But how many of you know that that's not the way that it should work? The way it works is that that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. God is the great orchestrator who orders our steps, that he knows everything that will happen in your life. Catch this. From your first breath to your last breath. He knows every minute and micro detail of your life. And sometimes I think we waste time by worrying about the issues and the problems of tomorrow when we know that we may not know what tomorrow looks like, but we know the person who holds tomorrow. And his name is Jesus. And, you know, we're, we're in a series called Ruth, and uh, I, picked this, um, I picked this book for a couple reasons. One, because it's four chapters. It's easy to do in a month. But the other bigger reasons for why we chose this book is I think that Ruth might just be the most— um, not important, but the, but the most beautiful story. Um, if, and it happens to be just in the, in the beginning stages of the Old Testament where you might have stumbled upon it. It's only four pages, maybe five pages, four chapters. But the book, why it's so beautiful and why we picked it is because I think it could catch everybody in the room. It is a story of struggle. It's a story of loss. It's a story of pain. It is a story of love. It is a story of success. It is a story of breakthrough. It is a story that has both. It has just this amazing story. It reads like a novel. It, it's not poetic in the sense that some of it is, though, but there is so much in there that I wish I had the time to do it more of like a Bible study where I could show you revelation after revelation after revelation. But I feel like with the time constraints that I have today, um, I have to very, be very picky about the things that I pick out and show you. But can I just talk to you for a couple minutes um, about Ruth? So Ruth chapter 1 is an amazing story. We see that Naomi is, um, she's married to a man named Elimelech. And if you were here last week, you heard Pastor Heather preach about how they were in the land of Judah in Bethlehem. But they had to leave Judah because of a famine. And they decided that they were going to leave and they were going to a place called Moab, right? But here's the thing is that they didn't have to leave judah have you ever found yourself thinking that because times are difficult it must mean you're doing something wrong but just sometimes god puts opposition in our way to develop something in us that we cannot run around or move through god tells us that we have to sometimes stay in these places but naomi and elimelech they're in judah and judah if you study the word it means praise And if you study the word Moab, it means desired land or just desire. And isn't it so interesting that the family decided that when it was difficult to stay in the place of praise, they left praise, but they tried to desire. Elimelech, who's strong enough to get the family out of the place of praise, is not strong enough to set them up in the place of desire. He passes away. The husband, who is old in age, passes away. And as you start to study, you learn that in chapter 1, there's 10 years. That's the reason why it's so important that you study the Bible, that just within one sentence can be a summarization of 10 years in just one sentence. If you miss it, you might miss it, but there's been 10 years between chapter 1 and chapter 2, and they've been living the two sons that Naomi had also die. Now... If you're like me, you might be thinking through this and thinking, wow, I might be able to um, convince myself that because you're old, uh, Elimelech, you passed away, it was your time, you couldn't make it through the famine. But how many of you know that no mother should ever bury their own child, let alone two children? Naomi had lost every man that she's ever loved. She has found rains, it pours, and she's found herself at the lowest place in her life. She's bitter. She changes her name. She's bitter, but she's willing to go back. She's bitter, but she's frustrated, but she's willing to go back to the place of praise. Have you ever found yourself chasing desires and things didn't work out the way that you wanted to, and you found yourself bitter, but you were willing to try it again and go back to the church? You were willing to try it again and step into your faith one more time? you ever found yourself in that place where you thought the grass was Greener on the other side because that's what everybody offered. It left you depleting and empty, and you found yourself bitter. But you were willing to go back. Naomi has found herself with the two daughters, Ruth and Orpa—not Oprah—and they found themselves on their way back to the place of praise. In chapter one, verse nineteen, we see something beautiful. Um, we see that Naomi is at the crossroads. She's in the middle of both the place of praise in the place of desire. And she's in the middle with these two girls and it's a pyramid of three women that have found themselves with only one thing in common, pain. Pain is an uncomfortable partner that transcends both race and generation and culture. It does not matter if you are democratic or republican or what your belief systems are, pain will touch every single person's life. And when it does, it brings the most unlikely candidates together. And she has found herself in the crossroads of both desire and praise with two daughters. And all of them have lost their husbands. They shared a memorial service together. They shared a family together. They shared history together. But they found themselves in this place where she realized I can't take you with me. You have to decide on your own. Will you go with me to the place of praise or do you want to stay in the land of desire? And Orpah in this moment, she she kisses Ruth goodbye and Orpah decides to leave and she walks out. But Ruth decides to stay. And I feel like this should just be a, a sermon series right here, just talking about friendships. I could I could stay in this for four weeks just talking about friends right here because, you know, but, and I can't get there tonight because of the time constraints, but I'll say a few things. One, the Spirit of the Lord wanted me to tell you this. If somebody can walk out on you, let them walk. If somebody, I, I don't care, I promised you, I, I, I don't care if you if you spent so many time on the phone with them and hours and you've had history with them and you've done things with them. If they can walk out on you when your life is difficult, you let them walk. You got to know, baby, when it's over, it's over. You got to know what that, that there's nothing wrong with Orpah, but her time in the story was done. And you got to know when somebody's part in your story is finished. You got to know it. Don't you try to convince them, don't you try to get them to come along with you and stay with you and hang out with you. If they they can sweat it and they can just walk out on your life, when you find yourself in the crossroads, let them walk. Because this is the end of Orpah in the story. But then there's Ruth. And Ruth says something so, um, so beautifully, it's almost poetic. She says, may your God be my God. And she says, I'll go where you go. Words are not something that our generation understands. Um, Theologians, they, they don't like talking about it. Pastors get uncomfortable whenever it's the same sex that has this deep connection together, like a Jonathan and a David. You know, like in Elijah and Elijah, when there's the same sex connection, we don't understand the power of being joined together in this manner, but Ruth is not attracted to Naomi. Naomi's old enough to be Ruth's mom. So it's not a physical attraction because I know we're so carnal that we think that the only thing that finds somebody that your spirit is somehow linked with their spirit, that you know you're meant to run with them. You know that there's something about you that when when I'm around you, my my spirit leaps inside. I feel like when you speak, I get life. I feel like when you lead me, I'm provoked, I'm motivated, I'm changed, I'm challenged. I just feel like I'm better around you and my destiny is somehow attached to you that if I walked out on you, I'd never end up being the person that I was called to be this is something that we don't know how to talk about I don't care about money I can spend money and live in Chicago if I wanted to but talking about spending life together this is the only life I got the only skin I got on my bones I can't go anywhere else what would it look like if we decided to live life together do you understand that we are living life together in this moment Do you understand that we're making history together? The Denmark team that is with us, we're making moments together right now. The skit that you did earlier, you impacted generations to come in just a moment of being here. And and we, we talk about spending material things, but what does it look like when you find somebody that you're meant to do life with? What does it look like to say, may your God be my God? I will go where you'll go. If the Lord send you, I'm coming with you. It's it's like an Elijah that that would leave in 1 Kings chapter 19, would leave his name Elijah and would take a A basin of water and would dump water and wash elijah's head he would he would wash his clothes he would set up his tent he would wait on his every need what causes somebody to just leave their life behind and chase after somebody unless they know that there's something about you that my destiny is attached to because nothing just happens What what about Paul and Timothy that that in in, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4 we see that and would leave everything behind and hang out outside of a jail cell window and listen to the words of an old man minister to him that would give him blankets and books and instructions for life. What do you do when you find somebody that has the words that speak life into you? When you find them, you don't let them go easily. When you find them, you don't just part ways with them. When you find somebody like that, you start doing life. And that's where God has a way of sometimes to do extraordinary things. But it isn't by accident because nothing just happens. God is the great orchestrator. For some of you, you have found lifelong friends that are here. I believe that your best friends should be friends that you find in the church. It's not friends that you just have hobbies that you do things with. It's people that believe what you believe, that their God is your God. And we see in this story that they decide to go back. And while they're there, um, we introduce into chapter two. And I'm just going to spend a couple minutes just reading a couple verses in chapter two. And um, I would encourage you to read the whole story, though because there's so much in there that you can get out. But because this isn't a Bible study and this is a sermon, I feel like I have to pick and choose and not force things out, but just give you the things that I think the Lord wants to speak to you. So starting in chapter two, verse one, we we pick up here. Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz. Everybody say Boaz, Elimelech, verse two. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, I want us to repeat that first sentence out loud by the comma, go ahead. One day, Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi. This is an important detail. Can, can we go deep for just a second? I, this is high school. I, I think you guys, if, but if you don't want it, I don't, I don't have to give it to you. It's, it's in my notes, but I already know it, so. Um, have you noticed that it says, one day, Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi? But if you watch chapter one, They just refer to Ruth as just Ruth. But in chapter 2, when she's in the land of praise that she doesn't belong in, she's not from, they call her Ruth the Moabite. Have you ever found yourself that when you're close to breakthrough, you're close to praise, your past always gets brought back up? Have you ever found yourself in a place where you feel like you don't belong? Maybe you came to church today and you still feel like, I don't know if this place is for me. I just... You know, I got, a, I got a past, I got a history, I got some things that I've done. I, I get, this is my report card, and there's some mistakes on it. And, but you find yourself here in the crossroads. You find yourself here in the church and in the place of praise, and somehow your past keeps getting brought back up. It's when you try to raise your hands in worship, and you remember what you did last summer. You, you, uh, you know, you try to pray to God, but you know the mistakes that you keep making, and you feel like it's a wedge between you and God. Just trying to, because if your past keeps getting brought back up, and I want to encourage you with this, if your past keeps getting brought back up, and you keep pushing through to be here, you're this close to an amazing breakthrough in your life. You are right on the edge of something amazing. If there is that much opposition coming your way, something big is about to happen in your life. I feel something on that, that that you could just keep pushing through and just choose to be here. I actually wanted to title this, this message today, The Field of Grace. Because Naomi is about to step into a field that is, belongs to Boaz, but she didn't know that it was a relative that owned the land. Instead, she just picks a land and tells uh, Naomi, Ruth says, I'm gonna go try to find us work because we're still struggling here in the place of praise. And so we're gonna, we're gonna try and find some work. And she stumbles across Boaz's field and we're going to tell you what happens. It's amazing. But let's continue on in reading. Naomi, let me go out into the harvest field to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who was kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. There's something amazing that, um, that I want to share with you. I never thought I'd quote Leviticus in, um, in, a, in, a, in a message, but, but I do want to share this with you. As I was studying for this message what Naomi is talking about when she says um, that she wants to go into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind. In the book of Leviticus, that God has this amazing system where when harvesters would, um, would plant things and the reapers would come through to, to pull on the grains, um, if they dropped something on the floor, they were not allowed to re-pick it back up. Once something left their hands and it fell on the floor, they had to leave it so that if anyone poor came behind them, they could pick up the leftovers. So God had this brilliant system where he said, I'm going to challenge the, gener- or the the rich to be generous. And so he created this amazing balancing system to where the poor people had to work for the leftovers, but the, the rich people couldn't leave nothing for the poor. And so isn't that just the faithfulness of our God, his heart that he, he looks out for each individual despite what your circumstances or what your, your level of efficiency looks like. He, he meets the needs of each person. The Bible says that he cares even for the birds. How much more would he care for you? And so we, we read in verse three, it says this. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, I want you to say that loud. As it happened, but nothing just happens, does it? She found herself working in the field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. At this point, she has no idea that the land belongs to a relative of hers. She comes into the field of grace working, working for grace, but she doesn't know that she belongs to family there. Did you know that you don't have to work for grace? Did you know that you don't have to earn it? But God already said, freely I give, freely receive. So you couldn't earn it because you could never work for it. God gave himself on that cross for you. And it wasn't because of your works. It was because of his love. I found myself for years being like like a Ruth that would come into the house of God and feel like I had to work for God's love. I had to work for his grace. Santa Claus, that, that there was like the good list and the bad list. And if you did too many bad things, you were on the bad list, and then you wouldn't get the blessings that God has for your life. But how many of you know that God will still bless your life? if Even if you are rebellious like Jonah, and you run from the assignment that God has for your life, even a preacher who is defiant, God will still bless their life. And so this amazing story is that she's related to Elimelech. In verse 4, it says this. While she was there, Boaz to you, he said, The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. The next verse says, then Boaz asked his foreman, who is that young woman? Who's that young woman from Moab, or who's that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, she is the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters, and she has been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes to rest in the shelter. Listen, my daughter. Stay right here with us while you gather grain. Don't go to any other field. Stay right here behind the young women working on my field. See which part of the field uh, they are harvesting, and then follow them. I have warned the young men to not treat you roughly, and when you are thirsty, help yourself to water that they have drawn from the well. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I want to tell you about this part of the passage of scripture. Are you still with me? Okay. It's that she doesn't realize that she's related to Boaz, but when Boaz has a private conversation with one of the workers, and he says, who is that woman that's over there? Who's that stranger in our field that's, that's picking up the leftovers? And they said, oh... That girl, that's that's uh, that's Ruth. She's a Moab. She came with Naomi, and you know she's at hard at work and stuff. But and you you notice how in the private conversation, even the, the, you hear the whispers, you, you hear the the tension. It's the tension in the air that you, you sometimes feel, and and yet and yet Boaz when he hears this, he he goes up to her and he doesn't treat her like a foreigner. Instead, he says what he says, my daughter. And that is the language that I want you to understand, that that is your position in the field of grace tonight. You didn't come in here as a foreigner. God spoke you into the world, so before you were ever found, you were his. And God knew you, and he loves you, and he treats you as a son and as a daughter in this house. That you are not a foreigner, that you would come into center point CPU and pick up scraps. But this is why we treat people with love, because we're family. The same blood that saved you saved me, which makes us blood relatives. We're family, because the blood of Jesus runs through my veins, and it runs through your veins. And that makes us family, guys. That's why we treat people with love and respect because we, it changes everything once you know your family, it does, because we'll go the extra measure for family, and when you come to the conclusion that despite what your skin color is, despite where your background is from, despite the mistakes that you've made, your family, it absolutely changes the way that you look at your brother and sister, you can't even look at them with lustful eyes because it's your sister. You can't even treat them with hostility because it's your brother. He doesn't call her a foreigner. He calls her his daughter. And there's something so powerful that, that I need to explain to you. And the Lord was really telling me, teaching me this. He was saying, you have to teach them about the power of perspective. Can I talk about it for just a minute? Can we go back one verse? See which part of the fields they are harvesting and then follow them. This is Boaz talking to Ruth. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly, and when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water that they have drawn from the fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness? She asked. I am only a foreigner. Here's what I want you to know the difference between Ruth and Naomi. In chapter 1, when everything bad is happening to Naomi, she changes her name to bitterness. And she knows that because something has happened to her, she, she's convinced. She's convinced herself to the point of knowing that God is against her. But Ruth, when everything also was happening to her, one good thing happened, and she was thankful. And if you were wise today, you would count your blessings for what God has been doing in your life. This is the power of perspective that you will change your perspective because your altitude will change your attitude. And if you will just focus upward on the God who saved you and what he has done in your life, he doesn't have to do another single thing. He's already done enough when he died on the cross for you. This is why we should count our blessings, guys, that even like Ruth, one good thing is enough to get you to fall to your knees and thank God. And I wonder if there's just a few radical people in the room. I don't care if something bad is happening at school. Do you got one good thing that you could think of right now to meditate on, to focus on, to to pay attention to? I tell you this, guys, if you will just change your perspective to not focus on the problem but find one blessing, just one, it will take you out of the stronghold of depression. It will take you out of the, the prison of anxiety and you will find yourself on your knees and people will say, how could you possibly have a smile on your face with the life that you live? It's because my God is that good. Because he he forgave me of my sins, because he welcomed me in as a son, as a daughter, because I have a place that I belong, that I have a name change, I am now his beloved. There's something that happens when you can change your perspective. She had every right to be bitter, what she chose to be thankful. And that is a sermon right there in itself. I could drop the mic and not Hooper and Holler and get you to scream back at me cuz I just preached the best message tonight that if you could just focus on one thing to be thankful for. Power of perspective. Keep going guys. The next verse is this. Yes, I know, Boaz replied. But I also know about everything. Everybody say everything. You have done for your mother and father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whom wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. There's something so powerful about those last two verses as I called the band up, and it's this, guys. It's that Ruth had no idea that Boaz knew everything. She humbled herself, she actually came into the presence of Boaz and she fell at her knees because of one thing that she was thankful for. And Boaz begins to tell her, I've heard about everything. I know your story. I know what you've been through. I know how you stuck it out and you stayed with your mom and you came into a place where there was complete strangers and you've had to fight to be here. And I just want you to know, and I guess this is the part that I should close on is this, is that I may not know your story. Our small group leaders may not know your story. And he knows every detail. He knows every tear that you have cried. He knows every thought that you've had. He knows every frustration, every mistake, every failure, every letdown, every disappointment, every every sting of pain. He knows the dreams that have fallen apart. He knows the things that you have for your future. God knows everything. And yet, even when he knows the worst things about you, he still loves you. Even when he knows the things that you'll never speak about. He still says, you're welcome to be here. You can come as you are. You belong here. You're not a foreigner. You're a child of God. And that is a message that I hope that we can receive in this place, guys. You know, I, I had, um, had an awesome story one time about this. Is that, um, well, say, God loves you. He loves you so much. I just feel like if I, I, it's not even, it's not even beneficial for me to preach a message without explaining the Father's love for you. He is so for you. He wants you to win. He wants you to succeed. He wants you to stick it out. To remain here, you belong here. You belong here. Nothing just happens, even if you've been rebellious. Even if you've been going against what God has said, even like Jonah, as we talked about Jonah a minute ago, Jonah, God gave him a message to preach, and he went to Tarshish in a different direction, found himself on a boat going the completely different direction to what God had called him to do. And when he was on the boat, big men picked him up, and they threw him over the ship, and it just so happened that there was a whale right there and it swallowed him and it took him down three thousand feet beneath the sea level and god even met jonah who was defiant and deserved to die and met him in the belly of a whale and was willing to speak to him and remind him of who he is and god knows when you're meant to go down and god knows when you're meant to come up And when he came up out of the water, that preacher that was defiant and backslidden said 2,000 years ago. He said that just like Jonah who arose from the belly of a whale, even I on the third day will rise from the belly of the grave and will come up out of the ground for you. God knows every detail because nothing just happens. Can we say it again? Nothing just happens happens you are not a mistake you are not a failure you are not a one-night stand you were spoken into the world with intention and purpose and godly let's stick together let's not just spend our time and our money let's spend life together amen amen let's pray together in this place father i thank you lord in the presence of your holy spirit i thank you lord in the presence of even angels that are in this room right now i thank you lord that even in this place god Despite the obstacles that we've had to go through to be here right now, Lord, I thank you that you are in this room, that your spirit brings revelation, that you have the ability to open the hearts in this room who have been calloused and closed. But because of your presence that is so sweet in this room and the glory that is in this house right now, I thank you, Lord, there are hearts open in this moment. Thank you, Lord, for the word, Lord, that was preached tonight. I pray, God, that would fall on good soil. And I pray, Lord, that this would bring an increase in wisdom, that this would continue to open our eyes, to challenge ourselves to not walk by what we see, but to walk by faith. And so, Father, Lord, in your presence, confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. You will be saved. Every single service, we always give the opportunity for each person to give their life to the Lord. And if you're ready to make that decision for yourself right now know that nothing just happens. You didn't stumble into this room by accident. God predestined this moment to take place. He had an appointment with you because this is the moment where you surrender your life to him and if you're ready to make that decision, I'm gonna count to three. When I say three, I would love for you to shoot your hand in the air. The Bible says if you will acknowledge me before man so I could just connect with you in this moment. One, nothing just happens. God loves you, he is for you and not against you. Two, this is your moment to make the decision. The biggest choice you will ever make in your life is not where you will go, but who you will do life with, and it is Jesus. Three, would you raise your hand in this place if you're ready to give your life to Jesus? Wonderful. I see some hands. It's amazing. Let's pray together. Thank you. I give my life to you. I ask you to come in and save me. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I choose your grace, and I choose the debt that you paid. Thank you, Lord, that you saved me. And right now I choose to believe that you died on the cross, but you rose again. And I choose to allow you in. Lead me, Holy Spirit. It's in your precious Son, I pray amen amen can we celebrate guys for those who give their life to the lord tonight it's amazing let's all stand to our feet in this place there's a sweet presence in the room right now and um you know maybe maybe there this is a great moment for you to have a moment where you connect with god and uh if we could just avoid doing the whole transition of going to the back um let's stay connected with god right now in this moment if We have a final song, a final part of a song. It's an amazing song. It's called The Scandal of Grace. And uh, we use the language scandal and why we sing the song is because a scandal means that it's too good to be true. It's a scandal. It it doesn't make sense. It it shouldn't have happened the way that it happens. But to talk about the scandal of grace is to talk about that, that, that it is freely given to us, but it doesn't make sense in our work for the food that we eat. We work for the job that we have. We work for the company. We work for uh, the degrees, the colleges that you're going to go to, the schools that you're attending right now, the academics, the sports. We work for things. But what happens when grace is something you can't work for, but something you have to just receive? This is why we sing about the scandal of grace. This is why we sing to Jesus, because He he's worthy of our worship. Can I share something with you, and then I'm going to hand it over to them. Worship is not about God meeting you to a place where you have to feel something and then you participate. Meaning, worship is a choice. Worship is, I'm not waiting till I feel the goosebumps. Because even when you're not in church and you go to a concert, somebody can sing a note and you can get the goosebumps. And I'm concerned that we think that the goosebumps means the Holy Spirit. But somebody who is a Satan worshiper can sing a note. But when we choose to come into his presence, which you already are, but we choose to worship him, maybe you have that one thing that you can thank God for. And that will push you through from the courts to the gates and into his presence. Can we worship him? Not because we feel like it, but because he's worthy of it. Can we worship him? I hope we. I hope that you love it because we're going to be doing it for eternity in his presence. So let's sing this song out together right now.